On May 17, 1959, George King, the 40-year-old leader of London's Etheria Society, gathered dozens of his followers in their headquarters on Fulham Road. King was a medium. He routinely went into trances to channel messages from various entities. Some were earthbound spirits, while others came from different planets. On this night, the transmission came from King's most frequent visitor, Master Aetherius from the planet Venus. Master Aetherius communicated directly through King's voice box. He revealed that King was one of only three beings with the power to save the Earth from evil forces. He claimed King was an adept, an advanced entity from another planet who was able to help mankind by choosing to be reborn into a human body. Master Aetherius told the crowd that King's real name was Nixies 001. He would soon be joined by two more, Nixies 002 and Nixies 003 to face battles with dangerous black magicians. They would have to fight these forces of darkness using positive spiritual energy and prayer. Master Aetherius believed the adepts had the proper training and potency to defeat the magicians. But Aetherius warned if they couldn't do it, mankind was in trouble. The three were so vital to humanity that if they were to leave the planet, it could mean the end of everyone on Earth. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we'll meet spiritual medium George King. He spent his life allegedly working with alien beings to protect the planet Earth from destruction. Next week, we'll focus on how his spiritual group, the Etheria Society, has survived up to present day and what they're still doing to protect us from annihilation. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It was a chilly morning in January 1919 when Mary King gave birth to her baby George in the small English village of Donington Wood. When Mary presented her newborn son to her mother, Sarah, the older woman gasped and exclaimed, My God, Mary, this child is not of this earth. 
This comment reported in a biography of George King written by two of his disciples, Richard Lawrence and Brian Kniep, may have haunted King throughout his life. And perhaps his grandmother did have some sort of insight as she made this eerily prescient comment. Sarah was known as a medium, a healer, and an herbalist. She was so respected in this regard that according to King's biography, a future prime minister of England consulted her for spiritual advice. His mother and father raised George King as a Christian, as King's father was a Quaker and the family sometimes attended an Anglican church. But King's grandmother's talents and interests also affected his spiritual development. Her metaphysical skills were normalized within the family. Sarah conducted seances in the house, and young King crept in to watch her go into trances. Sometimes, Sarah delivered psychic prophecies. She told the young boy that she had a vision of a bookshelf filled with titles that he would someday write. However, not all of her prophecies were as hopeful. She also shared a disturbing premonition that when King was 20 or 21 years old, he would suffer some sort of accident, but she promised her grandson that he would survive. King felt reassured by that, but wasn't too worried about his future yet. He wasn't even a teenager. And sometimes he felt as if he might not live long enough to grow up anyway. He was sick for a lot of his childhood. While we don't know of any specific illness King suffered, smallpox, measles, and tuberculosis were all common at that time. Because of his infirmity, he wasn't athletic and may not have participated in many activities with other children. Instead of frolicking and playing sports, he turned inward and put his efforts toward developing his mind and spirit. While King spent some time outdoors, exploring local farms and gardens, he was just as often found meditating with his eyes closed, trying to perceive an inner light. Vanessa is going to take over in the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. An article called Depression, Self-Esteem, and Life Events in Adolescents with Chronic Diseases found that children suffering from long-term and chronic diseases are at a greater risk for maladjustment as they grow up and could benefit from psychological care. However, King grew up in the English countryside in the early 20th century. Therapy wasn't an option. Instead, he devised his own coping mechanisms. Unfortunately, he not only suffered from chronic illness himself, but watched his mother Mary waste away from her own mysterious disease. King was only 11 when his mother was confined to her bed with illness. While we don't know what her diagnosis was, she was apparently so sick that moving her to the hospital was too risky. So Mary lay in her bed at home for months, as a local village doctor checked on her every couple of days. He was mystified by her symptoms and didn't seem to be making any progress in treating her. King felt overwhelmed with fear and sadness. According to the account in his book called You Too Can Heal, one evening while grappling with these feelings, King experienced a very strong urge to go into the woods despite a rainstorm. He wandered there in the dark and prayed for his mother's recovery. She was declining rapidly, and King felt she might not make it through the night. He poured all of his emotions into prayer, begging God to help his mother recover. He began to visualize her in bed and directed his healing prayers towards her. 
King's eyes were shut as he intensely prayed. Even though he knew he was alone in the dark woods, he began to feel a presence. He opened his eyes and saw a man standing about 10 or 12 feet from him where there had been nobody before. The figure had long brown hair and wore a flowing robe-like garment. As King took in the sight, he realized the man glowed from within. King trembled, not understanding what he was seeing. The fact that the man seemed to be emitting light rather than carrying a lantern made King realize that it was some sort of a spiritual manifestation. The boy shivered, terrified. But as the glowing man smiled at him, King slowly detected a kind and fatherly energy from the entity. King no longer felt like he might be in danger, but rather that the man was there to help. The figure then pointed with his right hand back toward King's house and said, Go, your mother is healed. Then the glowing figure disappeared. King rushed home immediately. He found his mother up and out of bed. She was eating and appeared to be feeling much better. King stammered and tried to explain what happened to him in the woods, but before he uttered a full sentence about his fantastic tale, Mary shushed him. She already knew he'd been walking outside and praying. She'd had a vision that King had met an angel in the woods. The next day, the doctor came to check on Mary and was surprised to find her up and baking a cake. He didn't recognize her as the sickly, bedridden woman she'd been a few days before. Mary chided the doctor, saying that his medical knowledge hadn't restored her. Instead, she claimed her son's psychic abilities and powerful prayer had manifested an angel to heal her. According to King, after the doctor witnessed Mary's stunning recovery, he started consulting with them about his most challenging cases. Mary and George King worked and prayed together, sending healing energy to the doctor's declining patients. After his encounter with the entity in the woods, King's own health improved too. By the time he reached his teen years, he was able to participate in sports. He started playing both soccer and cricket and excelled at long-distance running. He took an interest in fighting and combat skills, such as fencing and boxing. He became strong and fit, unrecognizable from the sickly child he'd been. Then, in his final year at school, he performed a feat that cemented his physical prowess. His physics teacher passed a steel bar around the class as part of an experiment. It was supposed to be an example of something that couldn't be bent. As it made its way around the class, all the students attempted to flex it and failed. Until it got to King. When he tried, everyone, including King himself, was shocked as he rather nonchalantly twisted it into a U-shape. Instead of praising him for this awe-inspiring feat, the rattled teacher sent King to the headmaster to be punished. The headmaster wasn't sure what kind of punishment this warranted, but it was clear that King had scared his classmates, so some kind of action had to be taken. He sent King home. King's father met with the headmaster to discuss the weird incident, and they decided the best thing was to keep the boy out of school for a while. It wasn't supposed to be permanent, but King never went back. A short time later, 18-year-old King moved to London, where he toiled at a variety of odd jobs, including a stint as a butcher's apprentice. He enjoyed his time in the city, but went back to the countryside to visit his parents in the spring of 1939. 
He was 20 years old now, the same age at which Sarah predicted he'd have a dangerous accident, and he was about to be reminded of his grandmother's prophecy in a bone-chilling way. Next, we'll hear how King narrowly escaped death with some startling effects. Hi, it's Vanessa from Parcast. They say there's someone for everyone, a soul to share your secrets with, a companion to grow old with, a conspirator to commit crimes with. Starting this February on Spotify, learn about the lethal and legendary lovers who fought the law in the Parcast Limited series, Criminal Couples. If you've ever referred to your best friend or beloved as your partner in crime, this exclusive series is for you. Beginning February 1st, join me for a collection of unlawful love stories from shows across the ParCast network. Discover the extreme beliefs of cult leaders Tony and Susan Alamo, enter Fred and Rose West's real-life house of horrors, and experience the madness and motives of the San Francisco witch killers fall for the most famous and feared pairs in history in the Spotify original from ParCast, Criminal Couples. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday starting February 1st. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify. Now back to the story. In 1939, 20-year-old George King visited his parents in southwest England. One day while he was there, he was helping to run errands and drove to a local farm to buy some milk. Despite the fact that it was raining, King felt the strong urge to open up the roof of the car. When he arrived, the farmer brought the milk out to the car and they chatted. He asked King why the heck he was letting the rain into his car. King responded, I don't know, I just want the roof open. As he traveled the uneven country roads back to his parents' house, rain pouring down, King's car skidded on the wet ground. He lost control and swerved off the side of the road into the ditch. King was thrown about inside the car. He believed that if he hadn't insisted on opening up the roof on a rainy day, he might have ended up with a serious head injury or a broken neck. King was able to escape the wrecked vehicle by crawling out of the open roof and suffered only a hand injury. He immediately remembered his grandmother's premonition and quietly doubled down on his faith in the paranormal. Alongside this firm belief in extrasensory perception, King was still an outwardly practicing Quaker, a Christian denomination that preached nonviolence. So when World War II broke out in September of 1939, he stood as a conscientious objector. That meant that due to his religious or ethical beliefs, he was ideologically opposed to participating in warfare. The military recognized this and granted him conscientious objector status. King's spiritual pacifism led him to take on a non-combatant role in the British fire service. Even though he didn't go overseas, he was put through terrifying and dangerous work when London was bombed at the Blitz. King rescued people in the aftermath of the bombings. He claimed to rely on his psychic powers to uncover victims trapped under rubble in the devastation. Around this time, to hone his spirituality and metaphysical gifts, he started to practice yoga. Unlike many Western people today who go to yoga classes for exercise, King devoted himself to the so-called higher aspects of the practice. 
He immersed himself in studying yogic breathing, psychic powers, and meditation through types of yoga called mantra yoga, raja yoga, nani yoga, and kundalini yoga. It wasn't common for a young British man to take up this practice in that era, but King wasn't exactly an ordinary guy. He is said to have dedicated himself to his practice for eight to 10 hours every single day, even while working full time. As part of his yogic lifestyle, while searching for a higher level of existence, he practiced total celibacy, another thing unusual for a young man living in London during the war. Despite King's eccentricity, he developed a more conventional passion in cars. Shortly after the war, King found work as a chauffeur, driving luxury cars like Daimler's and Rolls Royce's. In 1952, when King was 33, he reportedly drove for royalty in King George VI's funeral procession. As he deepened his involvement with automobiles, he tested race cars for Jaguar and worked as a stunt driver for the production company Ealing Studios. But while he became an expert driver, he continued honing his yogic and meditative abilities. By the mid-1950s, he was deep enough into his yoga practice that he claimed he could achieve higher states of consciousness and go into trances. After this intense meditative work, King began to explore the psychic arts he used to observe his grandmother practicing. He started attending seances and spiritualist events, where clairvoyance allegedly levitated and communicated with the dead. It was through these experiences that King honed his spiritual interests down to mediumship and healing work. He started hosting healing circles in his small apartment. By necessity, these were intimate gatherings, as his flat couldn't host more than a handful of folks. This small group soon turned into devoted followers. They meditated with him while he employed unique yogic breathing techniques, letting his head fall back, going into a trance. King wanted to use his metaphysical powers to not only heal people of diseases, but also improve the world. Our cultural concepts of health and healing can mean different things to different people. Sociologists and anthropologists Meredith McGuire and Deborah J. Cantor looked into this in an article entitled Belief Systems and Illness Experiences, The Case of Non-Medical Healing Groups. They found that the notion of healing means something different to those with psychic beliefs. For example, a psychic healing group's definition of health could mean achieving connection with the universe and being in tune with cosmic energy. These groups seek not only to heal physical illnesses, but also psychological conditions and difficulties in their lives. A wide range of spiritual, physical, emotional, and social maladies would be put forth for healing at group meetings. McGuire and Cantor wrote that according to believers, if one realizes that one's situation is the product of one's own actions, thoughts, attitudes, and direction of energy, that realization is the first step to change. That realization and acceptance of responsibility is the real healing. While King and his followers might have been trying to heal specific illnesses, we know that they were also focused on connection with metaphysical realms. On May 17, 1953, something extraordinary happened while he and the members of his healing circle meditated. 34-year-old King went deep into an altered state of consciousness, and another voice spoke through him. While the voice emanated from King's body, the speaker identified himself as a Tibetan adept named Master Chang Fu. And before the night was out, yet another illustrious person spoke through King while he was in a trance. 
The small but rapt group also heard from a 19th century Scottish obstetrician and anesthesia pioneer, Sir James Young Simpson. During this period, King continued exploring meditation and experienced several more paranormal and bizarre events. One day, while meditating his apartment, he rose in the air and levitated. Apparently, he could prove this to his landlady because he left greasy streaks on his ceiling from the styling cream he wore in his hair. Unexplainable events started to happen to King even when he wasn't in a trance. More than once, he claimed he'd briefly turned invisible. On one occasion, he'd been waiting in line to buy a pack of cigarettes. He hadn't even realized that no one in the shop could see him until he advanced to the front of the line and the shopkeeper helped the man behind him. When King then spoke up, he nearly scared the man to death. The shopkeeper jumped back, turning pale as the blood drained from his face. The other customers in the store were also visibly startled, as King slowly materialized as he spoke. These spontaneous disappearances happened repeatedly. King chalked it up to his yoga and meditation practice. He was existing at a higher level of vibration than most people. This caused him to sometimes slip in and out of the physical plane. When this tendency became inconvenient, King drank alcohol or smoked cigarettes to lower his vibrations and anchor himself to the physical plane. As if turning invisible wasn't startling enough, 35-year-old King had an experience on May 8, 1954 that changed his life forever. That sunny Saturday morning began normally enough with King doing chores. In a later magazine article, King described the moment when he was drying his dishes. I was performing a tricky feat at the time, trying to dry four plates by shuffling them about, rather in the same way that one shuffles a pack of cards. It was pleasant in his small kitchen, with the sun streaming through his windows and the busy sounds of street activity outside. But then suddenly, it was as if everything ground to a halt and there was a profound silence. King stood there as if frozen, with the dishes still in his hands. He said he then heard a voice address him with the startling suddenness of a pistol shot. The voice wasn't in his head or inside his ears. King knew with certainty that it was coming from outside of his body. There was another presence in the room with him. Its effect was numbing. And that's when it happened. King heard the voice say clearly and in English, prepare yourself. You are to become the voice of interplanetary parliament. King dropped all the dinner plates and they shattered on the floor around his feet, breaking the silence of the room. Coming up, we'll learn who spoke to King in his kitchen and hear how he founded the Aetherius Society. Now back to the story. 35-year-old medium George King had merely been washing up on May 8, 1954, when his life changed. After hearing a disembodied voice deliver a perplexing message, he was left standing in a mess of shattered dishware. King came to refer to this message as the command. When it happened, he went through a tumult of emotions, but mostly, he was bewildered. He took hold of a chair for support and, without realizing it, sank into it and just sat there for a couple of hours. He couldn't figure out who had spoken to him or how the voice had reached him. He had no idea at all what an interplanetary parliament was and had presumably never heard the term before. But he was positive he hadn't imagined it. 
Despite the turmoil he experienced, he was certain that he'd been visited by something or someone paranormal. To process what happened, he threw himself into intense yoga practice and meditation. In the meantime, he asked other mystics, occult, and psychics he knew if they had any answer as to what had befallen him. They said the event was mysterious and inexplicable. King would have to figure it out for himself. So on May 16th, King went into a deep meditation and ruminated on the experience. While immersed, another spiritual visitor came to him. But this time, he recognized the person. It was another yoga master, Swami Sivananda. They had never met in person, but King was familiar with him. The unsettling thing about the Swami's appearance, though, was King knew that the man was in the Himalayas at the time. Still, King saw him walk into his apartment, passing directly through a closed, locked door. And as the yogi moved through the room, King heard the floorboards creak under the man's footfalls. Then the visitor sunk into one of King's chairs. He heard the chair squeak as Swami settled into it. King felt certain that this visitor had some earthly weight to him and wasn't from his imagination. The visitor reassured King that he was on Earth for a special cosmic purpose and taught King how to open himself up to interplanetary communication and travel through astral projection, which meant intentional out-of-body experience. To assuage King's uncertainty regarding the command he'd received earlier that month, the Swami said, It's not for you to judge whether you are worthy to be chosen, my son. Then the specter of Swami Sivananda exited once again through the locked door. King was shaken to his core, but accepted his destiny. He also realized that the entity he'd encountered in the woods as a child must have been an alien being. It seems that sometime after he met with Sivananda, King began to refer to himself as primary terrestrial mental channel. He received more transmitted messages from various entities in front of those who gathered at his apartment for healing circles. They became so frequent that King sometimes drank a mixture of orange juice and olive oil just to keep his throat lubricated. No matter the source of the messages, when that being spoke through King, their words came out in English. However, sometimes the speakers had distinct accents and inflections so that observers could identify different personas. Through further meditation, King learned that the command he'd received in the kitchen of his flat came from an extraterrestrial intelligence from Venus, named Master Aetherius. Aetherius visited King again and explained that the universe was full of very evolved beings like themselves, but most can't be seen on the earthly plane of existence. There are many different layers of dimensional planes, and where beings exist is determined by their rate of vibration. Most highly evolved entities vibrate at a higher rate than more earthbound creatures, such as human beings. Master Aetherius transmitted another message to King that was supposed to help him become more highly evolved. To ascend higher, King had to give up his worldly possessions, including his beloved vehicles. King said of this directive, I could afford to run a couple of cars, and also I was fool enough to race a motorcycle. Quite unemotionally and coldly, I began to reduce my possessions to nothing until I had one suit, a pair of shoes, and that's about the lot. Always trying to continue his spiritual development, in the summer of 1954, 35-year-old King underwent some more intense meditative exercises. 
he specifically tried to astral project out of his body, the same way the Swami had visited him in his flat. King claimed that he successfully visited the planet Venus in June and July, and then in August he projected himself to Mars. On these planets, he was able to visit with the inhabitants as they were all on the astral plane. King most likely told his followers that if astronauts were to physically land on these planets, they wouldn't discover the advanced societies that he knew existed, that all resided in a higher vibrational frequency that could only be accessed by astral traveling. Once King had achieved these feats, it was time to bring his message to more people than the small group that could fit in his small flat. On January 29, 1955, King rented Caxton Hall in London for a lecture and public demonstration of mediumship. Caxton Hall, first built in the 1870s as a town hall, had a history of hosting political, artistic, and fringe events. Interestingly, the building was the site of occultist Aleister Crowley's Rites of Eleusis Invocations in 1910. The audience didn't know what to expect. Most weren't familiar with King, but they were interested to see the man who claimed to speak with aliens. It was the first time that King channeled Master Aetherius in front of a public audience. When King took the stage, he shared some of what he had learned from the Venusian. While no recordings exist from that night, King likely told the audience that Earth had been visited by aliens throughout history. They continued coming back to teach and guide us in attempts to avoid the destruction of humanity. King claimed that the great spiritual leaders such as Krishna, Buddha, Jesus Christ, and Lao Tzu were all aliens. All the world's major religions followed these cosmic masters, but had misinterpreted their teachings and removed their extraterrestrial nature. This combination of mainstream religious figures and UFO-based alternative belief systems wasn't unique to George King. According to Benjamin Zeller, an associate professor of religion at Lake Forest College, other UFO cults like Heaven's Gate believe that aliens desire to save humanity. This leads them to interpret the Bible in ways that support extraterrestrial mythology. In his article, Extraterrestrial Biblical Hermeneutics and the Making of Heaven's Gate, Zeller wrote, The users of extraterrestrial biblical hermeneutics stress not only the existence of alien life, but its willingness to enter a relationship with humanity and interest in helping at least some portion of humanity develop itself. While discussing Heaven's Gate, Zeller explained that a group employing cosmos-based religious stories would combine Christian and New Age beliefs and postulate close encounters with aliens and telepathic communication with otherworldly beings. The Aetherius Society, which came before the Heaven's Gate cult, similarly believed that aliens and figures from major world religions wanted to assist human beings to spiritually develop. The Aliens as Saviors storyline is consistent with the role Master Aetherius came to play in King's group. As time went on, King's transmissions turned into increasingly dire warnings about what humanity needed to do to protect itself from destruction. King claimed one of Master Aetherius's major concerns was the burgeoning proliferation of atomic energy in the hands of mankind and the destruction it could cause. On June 4, 1955, the Venusian told King that atomic explosions on Earth caused a dangerous increase in density of the ionosphere layer surrounding Terra, and this has tuned down the cosmic and other energies which should reach Earth, 
This is a very dangerous thing. According to Master Aetherius, this could lead to the extermination of humanity. The alien claimed that the planet Venus was trying to protect mankind by using, quote, between 20,000 and 30,000 motherships and 180 to 200,000 remote vessels around Earth to flood the world with magnetic energy. This warning was the push that King needed to spread his message wider. On August 2nd, 1956, when King was 37 years old, he founded the Aetherius Society. While it began in King's home, sometime later, the Society moved to a storefront building at 757 Fulham Road in London. We don't know where the money to purchase the building came from exactly, as King didn't demand tithing from his followers. But according to King's biography, he reportedly had help from others. It's also possible that the money he made selling his cars, motorcycles, and other belongings years ago helped him pay the rent. The headquarters boasted a big sign emblazoned with Aetherius House Interplanetary Communications Center. The window display showcased an array of books and brochures explaining their beliefs. Their mission was to spread and put into practice the messages and wisdom of Master Aetherius and other gods from space. One of the group's key tenets was that extraterrestrials were responsible for the positive development of humanity. King claimed that Earth had been populated by two human civilizations before our current one, Lemuria and Atlantis. But in both cases, nuclear war, promoted by evil beings known as black magicians, managed to destroy everyone on the planet. And Master Aetherius warned that Earthlings were now in danger of repeating this cycle. King and his followers spread the message that humanity needed to evolve into our higher selves and advance to new levels of existence. This could be done through yoga, prayer, and meditation. And those could be practiced at Aetherius House. King's message reached more people, and he added more followers to his fold. We don't have an exact number, but given the size of the London shopfront space, it was in the dozens. And this growing group was galvanized on April 22, 1958, when Master Aetherius transmitted an assignment for King that would take the society to greater heights. The Venusian communicated very detailed instructions for the design of a device. Once it was built, the machine could be used during specific cycles called magnetization periods to radiate healing power and energy. It would be the first so-called spiritual energy radiator, and it would help to heal the planet. The society immediately got to work. While King's followers built the technological apparatus that Master Aetherius desired, King took a little break in the countryside on July 23rd of 1958. He was hiking up a hill called Holdstone Down in an area dotted with the remains of ancient civilizations. As King wound through the paths lined with purple heather, an alien craft landed in front of him and the hatch opened. An entity emerged from the spaceship, but it wasn't Master Aetherius. It was Jesus Christ. Jesus directed a high level of spiritual energy at King's body. As the vibrations traveled through him, the whole physical area of Holdstone Down was energetically charged. Jesus told King to go forth and similarly charge other mountains and land formations with positive spiritual power. This mission to turn mountains into huge energy batteries was called Operation Starlight. 
A few days later, Jesus also gave him a group of teachings called the Twelve Blessings. These prayers would heal the earth and save mankind from nuclear destruction. King got busy. He climbed various mountains and performed the Twelve Blessings at their peaks. Once each mountain was charged, it transformed into a battery full of mystical power that anyone could access by praying there. To help spread these prayers, King made plans to publish the Twelve Blessings in book form. Months later, King's followers received their first copies. While King continued traveling the world climbing mountains, his elderly mother Mary phoned the society headquarters. She had also received a message from outer space. According to an introduction in George King's book of the Twelve Blessings, an alien consciousness instructed Mary to bring the published Twelve Blessings and meet up with an interplanetary visitor. So before setting out for the rendezvous, Mary made sure to tote it along. Sure enough, when she got to the countryside location, Mary spotted a spacecraft. The pilot was a Martian named Mars Sector 8, and he invited Mary onto the ship. Once inside, Mary also met Jesus Christ. He wanted to approve the 12 blessings now that they were published. He said to Mary, Blessed is he who reading this book doth understand, but exalted is he even among the angels who reading this book doth take it to his heart and follow its precepts. Tell my son that this book is now and forever holy. Now that the 12 blessings had been approved by Jesus, King felt ready to take his message of interplanetary healing further. But a few days after Mary's encounter, King walked through London feeling unsure. It was a damp, foggy night, and he was trying to find clarity about what his next step should be. He knew his responsibilities, but they weighed heavy on his mind. It was just about midnight when he felt the sensation of a strong and dynamic presence enshrouding his body. It communicated to King that it was a being from Mars, and it was there to issue him another command. The entity said to King, You will present yourself in the Americas. You will give our true message to the people there. You will not go so much as a converter, but merely to state our true case as you know it. Operation Starlight will be extended to these countries. And just like that, King had his answer and knew what his next step would be. He would take the teachings of the Aetherius Society to the new world. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of George King and the Aetherius Society. For more information on George King, amongst the many sources we used, we found A King Who Came to Earth, a biography by Richard Lawrence and Brian Kniep, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Cults was written by Christine Colby. With writing assistance by Tyler Walker. Fact-checking by Claire Cronin and research by Brian Petris. Cult stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.
Hi, it's Vanessa again. Before you go, don't forget to check out the new ParCast limited series, Criminal Couples. From apocalyptic cult leaders to bank-robbing bandits to married mafiosos, these couples give new meaning to Till Death Do Us Part. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday starting February 1st. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify.